Hi, my name is David Chariot Madori. Is anything quite so familiar yet so mysterious as language? It fills our lives, often from the moment we wake up to last thing at night. Most of us use it without thinking about it, but most of us also have only the vaguest idea of what it really is and how it works. It is something close, closer than anything, really, in our lungs and on our lips, and if you're a signer, in your hands. But it remains far from our grasp in terms of understanding. It is the box of magic tricks inside every one of us. It is also an inescapable trap. We can only think and talk about language by using it. Language is deployed to wonder about itself, to scrutinise itself, to praise and deplore itself. No surprise then that amateur explorers sometimes feel as though they are lost in a hall of mirrors. Even so, it remains an obsession. Today, an ordinary Tuesday, I searched Google News for words and language, among the hundreds of headlines from around the world. From Titanic success to Mad Max, how language around Brexit changed. The murky linguistics of consent. Danish minister to migrants. Learn the language or pay for your own interpreter. Ten German words becoming extinct thanks to English. Climate change can also transform language. How the left's war on words manipulates your mind. The generation who can't remember life before mobiles are not just social media obsessed. They speak their own language. From kitten fishing to adulting, here's how to speak millennial. There appears to be an almost insatiable appetite for linguistic debate. A fascination driven in part, perhaps, by the lack of satisfying explanations. Why do millennials speak their own language? Do the words they choose reflect the fact that they are superficial, lazy, addicted to technology? How can you protect a language against outside influence? Does the language we use to talk about climate change or Brexit change the way we think about them? Are words responsible for directing our thoughts, or is it the other way round? Who decides what a word actually means? There are good reasons language is such a battleground and source of frustration. It is also a source of delight, of self-esteem and solidarity. Great poets and writers, the ones who can shape language in elegant and startling ways, are loved by millions and can find themselves richly rewarded. Song lyrics capture the spirit of the times and stay with people their whole lives. Lullabies are imbibed with mother's milk, and words and stories we associate with childhood. Are intimately linked to our sense of self. Language is used for social differentiation. Think of all the effort people go to in order to expunge the wrong kinds of words or sounds from their speech. Conversely, there's pride in local language, in slang, in words that are markers of identity. Imagine you're homesick in a far-off country, surrounded by strangers. What's the feeling you get when you overhear someone speaking your language? Not only that, but in your accent, from precisely your part of the world. Something as precious as this is bound to be fought over, and puzzled over. Our curiosity about language has given rise to a bewildering variety of explanations, from myth to folklore to theory. That theory, linguistics, represents our most advanced attempt at decoding this familiar yet mysterious thing. Experts' views are far from settled. But the arguments are better informed than they've ever been. The journey towards this state of enlightenment began thousands of years ago. The Hebrew Bible represents the starting point for Western understanding of language. 
Adam, the first man, was given the power to create words. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Genesis chapter 2 verse 19 Later, when Adam's descendants challenged his power by building the Tower of Babel, God said, If, as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so they will not understand each other. Genesis chapter 11, verses 6 to 7. The idea that we all once spoke in the same way is found across cultures. The ancient Greeks thought that there was perfect linguistic unity under Zeus, but then his son Hermes taught humans their many languages and they began to fight. The Aztecs believed that only one man and one woman survived a great flood in a hollowed-out tree. They had children who were all dumb until a dove came down and taught each one to speak differently. The sheer variety of languages was obviously a preoccupation, Listening to people say things you can't understand is a uniquely strange and maddening experience. You might be able to interpret emotion and tone, but otherwise it is an undifferentiated mishmash of syllables and you are frozen out. Mutual incomprehension serves nobody well. It must, therefore, be the result of a mistake or a sin. How much easier would things be if we all understood each other? It makes sense that, to speak the same language has become an idiom suggesting recognition, empathy and cooperation. The many things languages have in common were equally intriguing. Over the centuries, scholars, traders and conquerors noted similarities among words that could not have been coincidental. An English judge in India, William Jones, made these observations explicit in a famous lecture to the Asiatic Society of Bengal in 1786. Jones had identified correspondences between Sanskrit, Greek and Latin, among other languages, and recognised them as a family, theorising that they must have evolved from a common ancestor. For example, the Sanskrit for foot is pada. In Latin, it's pes. In ancient Greek, it's pus. These related languages were later given the label Indo-European and their hypothetical common ancestor named Proto-Indo-European. The Proto-Indo-European for foot is pods. <laughs>